X. We're getting our way to the end of the book. Amen. <laughs> 23. I think this is month eight or nine. I think I'm going to do like three chapters at once now just to finish. <laughs> I don't know. It's getting a little bit more into uh, the final parts of Paul's life as he's heading to Rome. And obviously that will be the end of the book there. But there's a lot to learn. And today we're going to hear a little of his story and then veer off to encourage ourselves in trials. Has anyone ever been in a trial? Raise your hand. Well, if you haven't, you're lying. So we need to have a little bit of a repentance time before we begin. This is what we're dealing with. No. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Thank you, Lawrence. I wasn't looking, but he will pass you on. Acts chapter 23. Last week, we know Paul's in jail. He's in Jerusalem. He uh, has heard from God. And whether you think it was a mistake that he was there or not, I think Paul was thinking whether taking the vow or other things, he had probably made some sort of mistake. So we talked about what happens when we make a mistake. And then the joy is that God's presence comes and says, be of good cheer. Remember that? Well, I was seriously encouraged. I don't know about you because I make mistakes. And to know that God is with me and he's going to encourage me because sometimes shame and condemnation prevents us from using our gifts to serve Jesus, right? So we get down on ourselves like, I can't do it. I'm such a failure. But God says, no, I'm here with you. Go be my witness. Don't stop. Don't be condemned. Don't be shameful because I died for you and I love you. And I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I'm going to use you. And so that's what Paul's heard, but he's still in Jerusalem, and he's still in a prayer. And we're going to see what happens next. And so when it was day, it says in verse 12 of chapter 23, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Oh, well, God, you just appeared to me. And I'm going to Rome, and now I got 40 guys who are making it their mission in life to kill me. So things didn't get better right away. It says there were 40 in this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that, that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you therefore together with the council suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow. And as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Verse 16, so when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and he told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. 
And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And he called two centurions, saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea. And at the third hour of the night, and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysus, the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I've rescued him, having learned he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And it was told to me that the Jews lay in wait to you and also commanded his accusers, excuse me, that, let me start again in verse 29. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but he had nothing charged against him deserving death of chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night. And the next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. And when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Sicily, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium or Herod's house or his place of lodging. And we'll stop there. So here's Paul. You understand the story, right? God comes to him. Forty guys want to kill him. They say to the commander, to the priest, bring him here. And when he comes, we're going to kill him. Just out of the blue, little boy. How did he hear? We don't know how he heard. He heard. Nephew tells Paul. Paul tells Centurion, tells commander, rescues him in the midst of this trial. Brings him out of Jerusalem on a horse. Paul probably never traveled so well. He gets to Caesarea. He sees Felix. Felix says, I'll hear the case when your accusers come. He's really in the midst of a trial, a difficult situation. But I find it so interesting that God is with him the whole time. It's almost like an action movie. Like, Sort of, kind of. But informant, telling the truth, midnight, escape, finally get there, escape the bad guys. And then we're going to a court case. Da, 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 da. What's going to happen next? And Paul the whole time, I don't know what he's doing, calm as a cucumber, biting his nails. It doesn't tell us, doesn't mention his reaction. But we would think because he has God's promise, he's all right. But it's definitely a trial. But we see God working in the trial. And so I want to just kind of go off of that to something that God kind of laboring through this message. When things happen to us like Paul, and you don't really know what's going on, and it is a trial, that perspective to me, and I think to you, 
is everything to how you handle your situation. What truly is your perspective in the midst of a trial? Now, we know, it was interesting, yesterday I was faith in action, one of the things I took away, um, or heard, because I was thinking about this too, you ever listen but we're thinking at the same time? <laughs> or is it just me? You're probably doing that right now, but anyways. <laughs> you're looking at me like I'm hearing, but you're like, ooh, what's in that agape kitchen? Or I got an exam tomorrow, whatever. Um, yeah, we all do that, so I'm confessing my failure again. But anyways, that's the one fellow who's really good, Michael Hart, he's like, you know, we claim all the promises in the world, but we don't claim the promise in John 16, 33, that you will have suffering. You know, oh, yeah, man, we're going to claim everything, but he was like, we don't hear that in church that much. Like, oh, I haven't suffered lately. Let me claim that promise. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, not many people do that. And... Uh, because as I looked in the New Living Translation, it says you will have, it doesn't say tribulation, it says you will have trial and sorrow in this world. So if you think you're going to escape that, you're horribly wrong. And the reality is because life is life, we're going to face that. And I think of Paul's life. Because when he was first converted, Ananias said to him, listen, you're going to do mighty things from God, right? But you're going to suffer, Paul. And we're not talking normal suffering when he said that. Like, he suffered more than we'll ever suffer. He was, you know, you read 2 Corinthians. He was whipped. He was beaten. He almost died. He was stoned. You know, he went on major fasts. He went on ships that were shipwrecked. And, hey, Ananias says, just think about it. This is your life. You're going to do great things, but it's going to be really, really hard. So Paul, maybe going through this trial, knows this. And I just want you to know perspective-wise, please don't be surprised when you have sorrow. And don't say, why me? Okay, because that's what we do. We get in our own little world and we're like, I can't believe this is happening to me. The reality is it happens to all of us. And I'm not saying the degree is the same, because some might be called to greater suffering like Paul was. But the reality is if we can have perspective and stop and stop saying, why me? You're going to feel a lot better about it in the midst of it. And that perspective can change how your attitude lives in the midst of the trial. Instead of self-pity, I'm saying, no, Lord, this is a part of life. Because I think sometimes we think, whether we deserve it or not, we should never face persecution and we should never face difficulty. But the reality is, some of those things change us the most. Have you heard it? We don't learn always on the peak of the mountain, but we learn the most in the valley. But I don't want the valley. I want the peak. 
I want the champagne. But the reality is sometimes there's nothing to drink and we're in the valley and it's difficult. But that's where we see the Lord. Amen. And have I said before, the reality is I've been with people who have been with cancer and I've said it here before and I say to them, are you glad you don't have cancer? And they're like, yes. But they say right back to me, I miss that time. And you're like, well, you're crazy. No, I miss my dependence on God. I miss the joy he gave me in the midst of the pain. And I could have never had that without the trial. I was thinking about this and God really put one verse on my heart that I want us to remember. And if you've never memorized it, today is the day. I do Memory Monday in my Bible class at CCI. It would be Memory Sunday. We did this a couple years ago for, for us at Northgate. And people say, oh, I can't memorize. You can today. All right? And probably most of you know the verse. But we want to break it down, apply it to our story, then to our lives, in having perspective. It says this. And you guys can quote the reference after because you're biblical scholars. Right? And we know... Anyone know where I'm going? And we know. Oh, and we know. David knows, because it's his favorite verse. That all things, now you know where I'm going, huh? work together for good to those that love God who are called according to his purpose. Let me repeat it. How many have memorized that verse? Raise your hand. How many have heard that verse? Raise your hand. How many can just say, yeah, I'm right there with you. And how many can say, I've never heard it, but I love it already. <laughs> Here you go. And we know. I'm just going to start there. Just put that in your head. And we know. I looked up in the Greek. And we know. You know what it means? We are aware. Okay? Now, why is that important? Because he goes on to say that all things are going to work together. But stop. We know. Now, think of this in trial, because all things are going to work together good. We know from the past, okay, that things are going to work out. You know that? Because sometimes in our perspective in the moment, it seems like something's never going to end. Have you ever been there? You're like, this it's just so big to me right now, and I'm in the moment, and I can't get out, and it's just like, everything's against me, and it's just like, ah! And I want to tell you, it's happened before. And what happened? We are aware that in the past, that God helped us to get through. Huh? Think back. Well, well, I've never had God help me. Baloney. Okay? Go back to a big or a small trial in your life where you thought that you would never get through. And you can say, today, I'm still standing. I don't want to go back, but I'm still standing. And I am aware that God brought all things to something in the past and I'm telling you, in your perspective, he will get you out of this moment again. Amen. 
If you're going to live in the moment continually of how bad the trial is, you will lose your perspective to the greatness of God that he's done it in the past and he will do it again. And you might say, well, he's not going to do it in my life. Look at the Bible. Over and over, we are aware in the midst of evil that God worked things together for good. That we would say they're awful. That's awful. I can't believe that happened. That's absolutely awful. In the Bible, I can't believe that happened. But what did God do with it? How did God work his purpose through an awful trial and situation? We need to be aware in our perspective that God worked in the past. He has worked things out for good. And he will do it in the future. It's almost like if you're so focused on one thing, you got to take your camera and zoom out. Have you ever done that? You're so focused on one thing, you got to zoom out to see the whole situation, to know who God is, and that God has worked, and He'll work again. Stop if you're in the moment. And zoom out. And be aware that God is working. All right, so we know that, and we know now that all things, don't you love that? Not some things work out for good for those who love the Lord, all things. Well, God cares about this about my life, this about my life, but he's never helped me in this. <laughs> it says all things. The question I have for you this morning is, do you believe all things? are work, going to be worked out for good for those who love God. All things. Because, you know what, we can hold some things in the closet and say, well, God doesn't want to help me with this. I want to tell you the verse says, all things. And we know that all things, here it is, work together. In the Greek, that is, just to help you out, are working together. Because I see it in the past, like, well, I worked in the past. No. He is working in your situation. He is actively together with you in the midst of the trial. Paul, what's going on? Why is this happening? Why am I being shipped in the middle of the night? Why do they want to kill me? They're after me. But God was actively working his plan out. All things in Paul's life. All areas. Right? He was actively working. And the perspective is, well, I don't know. The perspective is bigger than my trial, bigger than myself, that God worked in the past, and he is active today in my life for Paul here and for me, no matter where you are. As a Pastor Dan, this works for small things. It doesn't work for big things. Listen, folks, this works for all things. Okay? Now, for good. For good. Your definition of good and God's definition of good are two different things. <laughs> Do you hear me? My definition of good is being in Florida at Orange Lake Resort by the waterfall eating Cheetos. Okay? Being able to go play basketball, come back, 
jump in the waterfall with my kids and not worry about anything. That's good. It's good when I go on Friday night and score a hat trick, which I haven't done in a long time. That's good. But that's not necessarily God's good. Okay? And we get confused with this verse, and we get confused with trials sometimes in thinking that he's working things out to what I think is good. Because God's more concerned about your heart than what's physically going on necessarily in your life. He's more concerned about his relationship with you and the process of the relationship and your dependence on him than he is with what you think is paradise. That's really important. Otherwise, you're going to be like, I don't want this. And my perspective is I should have hat tricks and waterfalls and Cheetos. But God's saying, you know what? My perspective is for you. You'll have more endurance. You'll have more perseverance. You'll have more joy if you have this issue. So listen, the verse. And we know that all things work together for good. Know that it's God's good. Okay? It is super important. The word of the sermon is that your perspective is God's perspective and not your perspective. Now, I've heard a lot of people claim this verse, by the way. You ever heard a lot of people claim this verse? Oh, all things work together. I know, I know, work together for good. That's right. And they're out living like a dog in sin. And they're like, yeah, but God said all things are going to work out for good. Now, it's important that we read the next part. <laughs> it says, to those that love God. So to the unbeliever who says, well, God's working <laughs> all things. No, he's not. No, he's not, right? How do we show our love to God? Merci beaucoup. It says in John, how do you love God? By obeying his, his word, his commands. How do you want to love God? Oh, well, I'm just going to go sing. Uh, sing to you, and I'm going to love you. And I'm going to hug you, God. And then I'm going to go steal and rob and kill. No, that's not right, right? We love God by obeying his commands. So he said, for those who love God. And you might be thinking, how do I love God? Do I love God? Duh. I got mad at my wife today. Now things aren't going to work out for good for me. I don't mean that. I mean, if you say, I want the blessings, you have to do what he says. Right? Now, I'm not saying we don't fail and the promise isn't to us. Because we do fail, and we don't obey all the time. But I'm saying generally, follow me. You can't claim the blessings of God and live like the devil. Right? Does that make any sense? So to those who love God, to those who obey his word. What it says, that in your life, as you're trying, and we're failures, but we're trying to do the right thing, that God will work things out to his good for us. Another thing about love, it's obedience. I think love is all of us. And I read this week in my devotions of the woman who, who busted the 
the jar of oil on Jesus' head. And she just loved him and anointed him. And I don't say that, we, what does that look like? I just know sometimes in my life, there's a difference between half-hearted love and full love. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. But I don't want us to treat God like a girl or a boy that we're not sure about. I don't know if I like them. I do some days. I don't other days, right? No, 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 no. We love him every day. And it's not a passing fancy when we want him and then we throw him out when we want what we want. That's what I'm saying. It is all of us. And as we love him, we'll do what he says. And that is a great measuring stick. Now, one last word on love. You cannot love God completely until you understand his love. You hear me? Because a lot of people try and do things without understanding and it gets themselves in. You, it's like a relationship. When you know you're loved, what do you do? You love back. That's just the way it goes. When you know and you're secure in love, you are secure to love back. And we are so secure in God's love that our response, our response is just simply to love him back. And as we love him back, we receive a promise that the perspective that he is working beyond anything we know. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, and I love this, who are called according to capital H, His purposes. I look at Paul's life. He's going to be killed. He loves the Lord. He's obeying the Lord. God's working this out. But Paul had a purpose that we thought of in Acts 9 to do great things but to suffer. But it also says that you, Paul, are going to be a witness before, what? Rulers and kings. Have you ever read that? He's like, you're going to be a minister to the Gentiles, much suffering, and, and, to, and to my people. And then he adds to rulers and kings. Up to this point, Paul hasn't really been to any king. But guess what God's doing? In the midst of the trial... Because he's got a bigger picture and the difficulty. He's working things to God's good because Paul loves him because he has a purpose that he has to witness to who? Felix and Festus and Nero. These are some big dudes, right? So God has this purpose beyond what Paul didn't know how it was going to be accomplished. Maybe he thought he was going to, I'll just walk to Rome or take a ship like I took everywhere else. No, 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 no. God had a purpose to get you there beyond what you thought because he's going to accomplish his purpose in your life. And so when you're going through a trial, my friends, your perspective is this, that God is developing me for a purpose beyond what I could even do. I, you know what? I don't know if you're encouraged about that, but I'm like, woo! I'm like, wake up! 
Because God has a plan for me, and sometimes in the stinky moments, that's where he's bringing to me to this incredible plan. And it's not my way. It's not my purpose. It's not my calling. It's his calling, his purpose for me. And sometimes he takes us through a valley to get us where we need to be, where he wants to use us beyond our own ability. And that is super exciting because most of the time we're like, I just want out of the trial. I want out of the sorrow. I don't want it anymore. And God says, don't do that because I'm taking you somewhere where you can't take yourself. And that is perspective on a crappy situation. If you're going to live in a perspective of woe is me in the moment, whether it's sickness, or emotional problem, or something you did or didn't do, you can't live there. You have to live with the greater perspective. For we know, it says, that what? All things, join me, work together for good to those, what? That love God and are called according to As you leave, remember that. Right? Because you're going to need to remember it. (laughs) Let me finish with this. What was the promise I said I learned yesterday? That we're all going to have what? Do you know what God told me this morning? That's only part of the verse. If my perspective is just on that part of the verse... I'm completely lost. Because he said, listen, here's the end. Be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. And if you want to stay in half of the verse, you miss the reality of my watch breaking. (laughs) (laughs) That's a trial. I just got that. God is working. Be of good cheer in the middle of the trial. We don't stay, oh, I've been promised sorrow and suffering. That's not the promise. The promise is you're going to have it, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. I've overcome the problem. And the beginning of the verse there in John 16.33 is you can have peace. So I don't stay in the realm. Oh, I've been promised suffering. I've been promised this trial. Because God is going to give you peace and you have victory so you can be encouraged that He has overcome. What is it? It's perspective. We need to read the whole Bible, right? And apply it and understand this is life. This is difficulty. But here it is. God is bigger. And he is working for good for you that love and obey him for his purpose for your life. So quit complaining. Okay, stop. Tell me to stop complaining. That's better. Because we are human and it is hard and we do need God. So we say, Lord, I'm sorry. My vision 
And this is my prayer today. It's been so small. And so often, I process through my thoughts instead of your thoughts. And Amy and I were saying on a walk the other day, Lord, teach us to process our lives through your eyes and not our own. Lord Jesus, we need your help. We're human, but we have a mighty God who lives in us. So Lord Jesus, this morning, teach us to see your perspective. For we are aware completely, and we know that all things are continually working for good to those who love God called according to his purposes, just as we see Paul's story and how you were working in a way maybe that he never saw, how you had that little boy here, how you got those troops up, how you brought him to Caesarea, how you were doing all of these things that he might have not seen, Lord. May we see what you are doing beyond our own eyes and trust you, Lord. We need your help. I need your help. And maybe this morning you are in a trial. Maybe you're in a difficult place. And you just need to call out to God. Jesus, change my perspective. Change my perspective. Help me. Help me. Oh, Lord, you're so good to help us. You're so good to help us. We're not alone. Little trial in this room, big trial. We're not alone. None of them is trivial. They're all big. But you're working in every situation. We're here to celebrate Jesus and the greatest good, that we're going to heaven, that he hasn't left us alone, that he died for us. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion. It's just simply remembering what Jesus has done for us, remembering his body and his blood. We're remembering our forgiveness that we are free, that he paid the price. And this morning, maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never really been to church. Maybe you have been, but it's never been explained like this. But God loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ, his son, who was God, to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross for your sin. And when he was on that cross, he took the penalty for your sin, your mistakes. And as you believe and trust in Him, He gives you His perfection. He gives you His righteousness. And this morning, maybe you don't know the feeling of forgiveness. Maybe you don't know the feeling of being right when you've done wrong. But Jesus is saying, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I came and died and rose again, you will be saved. Is that you this morning? Maybe you've never done that in your own heart. Just... Reach out to him. Would you do that? Just say, God, I need you. I believe you. I need you. Amen. Amen. And we need to be reminded each and every day, the rest of us, how good and gracious you are, God, in your forgiveness and that you're taking us to heaven. In the midst of the challenges and the pain, you truly have overcome this world. As we remember, let us be of good cheer knowing who God is and what he's done. The elements are in the back. As Randy sings, you're welcome respectfully and worshipfully to gather them and bring them back to your seat.
just praising God, giving Him all these things maybe you're concerned about. We brothers and sisters at the back, maybe you need prayer. Maybe you're in the midst of the trial and you're just like, I just, I need someone to pray for me. I know truth, but I just need brothers and sisters to surround me. If that's you, we'd be happy to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you. We're celebrating Jesus. Let's worship Him. Worship Him.